Well, we're wrapping up the series today called Grit, and then next Sunday I start a brand new series called Welcome Home. How many of you can say it with me? What does grit stand for? Guts, resiliency, integrity, and Wow, I am so impressed. You did even better than the first service, and I thought the first service did really good. Let's do it again. Guts, which is courage. Guts, resiliency. Wow, I am so, I can't tell. You just made this pastor really, I'll probably have to pray about my ego here after the service. You know, you really made me proud this morning. Stand with me if you would. I want to talk to you this morning and wrap it up talking about Peter. Peter is one of those guys that just really, really blows me away. I can see Peter as a young guy being the class clown that Christ would make a leader out of. I can see Peter being one of those guys who always was thinking out loud and saying the first thing that comes to his mind without ever really thinking about what he ought to have said. And those of you that are school teachers, do you know anybody like I'm talking about this morning? Sure you do. Peter was the guy that would walk on water, and yet he would sink. He was a guy that would cut off somebody's ear because he was just that impulsive, rash kind of guy. Peter was the guy that would say, Lord, I'm willing to die for you. And yet the very same night, he would deny Christ. Peter was the one that would say, Lord, you are the Christ. And just a few minutes later, Jesus would look at Peter and say, get behind me, Satan. I mean, he's just that kind of guy. And I have met so many people like Peter over the years that have told me I could never be a Christian, and they'll go through all the reasons. They're totally unlike the man that I told you about during the communion. These are the people that would love to follow Christ, but they think they can't do it. Well, Peter is the one that gives me hope for all of us on that. Read the Word of God out loud with me this morning, if you would. This is from John chapter 4, verse 40. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the men who heard what Jesus said and then followed Jesus. Andrew went to find his brother Simon and told him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. Looking intently at Simon, Jesus said, Your name is Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which means Peter. And the next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. I think the important thing I want you to get from this passage is two things. Number one, don't ever underestimate the potential that God has in your neighbor. Don't ever underestimate the potential that God has in your brother or sister. Don't ever underestimate the potential that God has in your friends. It was Andrew who brought Simon to Peter. And number two, don't ever underestimate the power of God to look into somebody's life and to see what you and I can't see. I say to you, your name is Simon, but you shall be called Cephas, or you shall be called Peter. Join me in prayer. I'm asking you this morning, Lord, to speak to us and encourage us in our walk of faith. We don't want to just be captivated by the story of Peter, Lord, we want to know you the way Peter knew you. Lord, we want to be living stones that Peter would write about in the epistles that we're about to look at on Wednesday nights. We want to be living stones, living rocks built into the body of Christ. So I'm asking you, speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated this morning. I think about my friend that I invited to church, and I think about so many others that I have invited to church over the years, and I think about those who've come to know Jesus and some that are still a work in progress. But what always comforts me, and it's what comforts me in my life, in my children's life, is the fact that Jesus identifies what He will make of me. We're always taught, and we begin to say and dream when we're little, this is what I want to be. Sometimes little boys want to grow up to be firemen and doctors or policemen. Sometimes little girls say they want to grow up to be a teacher or to be a doctor or to be a nurse. And from early on, there's these things that we look at in adults and we model. We want to be like them. I, I wanted to be like my father growing up. And I can remember riding with my dad and mom one time and telling my dad, I says, Dad, when I grow up, I want to do what you do. And dad looked up in the mirror and 
I can remember him saying to me, he says, son, he says, that's not what I want for you. And he wanted for me what every parent wants for their children. They want something better in their life. They want you to go further. They want you to do better. They want you to achieve more. And every parent takes pride in their children doing that. And so we try to look for things. When Becky and I were naming our children, we prayed carefully over the names of all of our children. We, we, and I, I say this to encourage you not to brag about what we did, but as you have children, we prayed and we fasted. God, help us to give them names that mean something to them that they can identify with as they grow up. And each of their names has specific meanings to us. And there were a couple of names that I chose from time to time that I wanted to name the boys. And Becky says, nope, they'll be fighting before they're out of diapers if we give them that name. But the name means this. And she says, I don't care. We're not going to name them that. And so we would, we prayed and we sought the Lord together. And I remember sitting before our first son was born. We were sitting in the office of the pediatrician. And I looked at Becky and just like that, the Lord had dropped the name into my, my heart and my mind. And I looked at Becky and I said, this name, and she goes, that's it. And, but we knew what the name meant, and sure enough, it's been such a part of his life. And the name was Andrew. When we wanted our son Andrew to be someone that would bring people to Christ, someone that would introduce people to Christ. And God has put him in places that I could have never gone and never served or never been, but he's been someone, and he and his wife Dana, to invite people into their home and to love them to Jesus. And I got to tell you, he reaches some salty, salty people sometime. I've met some of his friends and some of his soldier friends, and, and uh, he says, now, Dad, he says, they know you're a pastor, so they're going to be much nicer around you than what they really are. Don't let them fool you anytime, okay? And so it's been so cool to see him getting engaged and him praying. I've told you before about the time where they were in a firefight, and they had been surrounded, and, and the people were coming up out of the sewers, and they were being shot at from the top of the buildings, and they all had on headsets, and Andrew was praying. And when it was over, they had defeated the enemy, and all of them, not one of them had been injured, not one of them had been shot, and they were shocked. And they said to Andrew, this is Andrew, we couldn't understand a word you were saying. That wasn't Arabic. That you, he's an Arabic speaker. He said, that wasn't Arabic you were speaking. What were, you, what, what were you saying? And he said, I thought for just a moment. And he says, Dad, I realized I was praying. And he says, I was praying in the Spirit. And so I told him about praying in the Spirit and tongues and how the Holy Spirit will help you to pray about things you don't even know about. And he said, they looked at me and says, well, we don't know about all that, but do it again next time. <laughs> do it again next time. You see, well, go ahead and give the Lord a hand of praise. I think that's powerful. I think with each of our children as we name them, God was helping us to identify what God wanted to do in their life. And that's the good news of the gospel is that Jesus identifies what he will make of you, what he will make of me. He looks at Peter and he says, Jesus said, your name is Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which means Peter. Cephas actually means the rock. Now, put this picture up. How many of you know who this is? That's Bob Saunders' high school graduation picture. <laughs> no. You all know who that is. That's the rock. Put the next picture up. This is an artist's rendering of what they think the Apostle Peter looks like. And I look at that and I go, there's no way that guy could be the rock. <laughs> you know, I see Peter as this salty fisherman, this, these salty kind of guys like Andrew has been reaching with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I, I see people as, P Peter as this burly fisherman who knows people of the sea, knows people and what they do. But Jesus looks at him and he looks beyond the saltiness of his life and he sees in Peter what Peter is going to become. And that's the good news for every one of us. God sees in you what he's going to make of you. So friends, don't ever give up on me. Don't ever give up on your neighbor. God's not finished with us yet. Can we give him another hand of praise this morning? I think that's so exciting. Well, Peter walks with Jesus for about a year. We know from a chronological standpoint, and sometimes I would encourage you to read the New Testament in chronological order. There are chronological Bibles you can buy. But we know that Peter walked with Jesus for about a year. And once Jesus had told the disciples, he said, you know, you need to cast your nets out. And they said, you know, we fished all night, Lord. We've caught nothing. And 
they're really thinking, you're a carpenter. You don't know anything about fishing. I mean, you're not going to listen to me talk to you about mechanics. You're not going to listen to me talk to you about fishing. But you'll listen to me if I talk to you about Christ and knowing God and serving God. But, you know, I, I stay in my lane. If I try to tell you how to fix a car, you're going to have worse problems than what you've got right now. But so I'm sure they're thinking, you don't know anything about fishing. But nonetheless, they go out, they put their nets out, and they're, they encounter staggering success. I mean, they're pulling in so many fish that they're sinking the boats and they're having to call for other boats to help them. And when Peter gets back to shore, he makes this incredible statement to Jesus that just kind of blows me away. And the thing I take away from this is always welcome and don't fear God's work in your life. Because some people fear success more than they fear failure. Some people fear what God will do in their lives. And I can't tell you over the years how many people, even some of you here, we've had this conversation. If I sell out to Jesus Christ, if I, if I give my all to God, what's he going to do? And I always look at you, if you've asked me that, and some of you in here, you could tell others that. I said, God's going to make you a success. God's going to make you more than an overcomer. God is going to do in your life what he's always planned to do in your life. And there's a point that some of us begin to fear what God will do in our life. And so when he has this staggeringly successful moment, he's a fisherman. He should be overjoyed that he's called all of these fish. And yet he says to Jesus, he falls to his knees in Luke chapter 5 and verse 8, and he says, Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. Look at me this morning. Every one of us in this room, it's why we took communion today on this message Every one of us in this room, we're the beneficiary of God's goodness and God's grace to us. Every one of us, our net is full to overflowing. Every one of us, we're blessed when we go into the city. We're blessed when we go out of the city. We're blessed when we're in the field. We're blessed when we leave the field. We're blessed in our coming in and our going out is what the scripture says. We are the beneficiaries of the staggering grace of God. Don't ever fear what God wants to do in your life. Don't ever fear what God wants to make out of you. Simon knew, Simon knew something, though, that I want to bring us back to. He knew that he was a sinful man. And that is something I'm afraid that people are losing today. I've listened to the news, and I have no political comment about whether guns should be legal or illegal. I have my opinions on that. If you want to know, ask me after the service, and I'll be glad to tell you my opinion. The pulpit is not the place to talk about that. But I'll be glad to share my opinion with you on that. But let me answer the question this way to all the people that are asking that question. The problem today is when people are so self-centered that if you make me angry, I've got a right to kill you and everybody around you. The problem today is the depravity of man and the sin in our lives. The problem today is not more laws. The problem today is not more checks. The problem today is not more statutes. That's not going to make anybody safer. The safest people are the people who aren't religious, but the people who have realized that we are depraved sinners and the only reason that we are saved and the the only thing good in us is because Jesus Christ has come to wash away our sins. Religion may make you feel good about where you're at. Some services may make you feel good about where you're at. Some good works may make you feel good about where you're at. But you know what Peter knows. I am a sinful man or you are a sinful woman. And the only thing that can change us from sinners to saints, the only thing that can wash away our sins is the blood of Jesus Christ. And what God did with a fishing net, God will do with your heart. God will do with your life. God will do with your home. He will fill your house today, overflowings with the blessings of heaven this morning. Somebody say praise God today. That's what Peter recognized. Don't fear the work of God. Don't fear what God wants to do in your life. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said in that outstanding book, The Cost of Discipleship, talking about disciples, he said they must burn their boats and plunge into absolute insecurity in order to learn the demand and the gift of Christ. What, what Bonhoeffer was saying, and he would be martyred for his faith by Adolf Hitler. He would be martyred for his love for Jesus, for his love of the gospel, and for his love of lost people. What Bonhoeffer was saying, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you can't fear the work of God 
but you've got to give it all 100% to Jesus. Back in the 80s, there was a song, and it was a true song, but people would sing it in church, and oftentimes pastors would use it and say, come to the altar and pray, Jesus, be the Lord of all, for if you're not Lord of everything, you're not Lord at all. And the only way you'll discover what Peter discovered and what the other disciples discovered is when you give to Christ unreservedly your life and you confess him as your Lord and Savior. Nothing can save us but the blood of Jesus. There's a third thing that I learned from Peter about his grits, his, his guts, his resiliency, his integrity, his tenaciousness, is Peter's wife. Peter's wife must have been an incredible woman. And so I would say the third thing is pray for your spouse's spiritual maturity. Every day I pray for Becky. Every day I pray for folks from our church. And I pray for your marriages. And if you're single, I pray for you and your singleness. And you and I have probably talked, and I know whether you want to be married or not. And I pray about that. But we pray for our spouse's spiritual maturity. I, what I'd like you to look at for just a moment with me is look at this verse of Scripture. We're going to look at two passages here. After Jesus left the synagogue with James and John, they went to Simon and Andrew's home. Now, Simon's mother-in-law was sick in bed with a high fever. Now, the emphasis there is also in Luke. And remember, Luke was a physician, a high fever. In those days, if you had a high fever, you were likely to die. There were no antibiotics. Something was really wrong. So she was sick in bed with a high fever, and they told Jesus about her right away. I also want you to know this would have been on the Sabbath day as well. So they told Jesus about her right away. So he went to her bedside, took her by the hand, and helped her sit up. And then the fever left her. Now, on the Sabbath day, she got up, and she prepared a meal for them. And that evening after sunset, many sick and demon-possessed people were brought to Jesus. And the Bible goes on in this passage to tell us they were brought to the door of Simon and Andrew's home. Now, there's several fascinating things about this that I have referenced before in a marriage and series here at the church. But number one, my daddy was right when he said to me, fella, you be sure you take a good look at that girl's mama when you're dating her. Because if you get married, that's who you're going to be married to 30 years from now. He said, fella, you look to see how she treats her husband. Fella, you look to see how she treats her daughter. You, you watch those things because that girl, when you marry her, you're marrying her mama too. And no truer words could have ever been spoken. And everybody that knows that I'm saying the truth, say Amen. When you marry, you're, I tell every couple this one, you're marrying into a family. I've wondered what kind of impact did Peter's mother-in-law have upon his life? What kind of impact did she have upon her daughter's life? Because Mrs., let's call her Mrs. Simon, Mrs. Simon would have served right alongside of Peter. You say, Pastor, how do you know that? I'll show you in just a few minutes how I know that. But she... We don't have a lot of biblical evidence there, but we have some testimonies from the first 200 years of the church. <clears throat> Number one, we know that Peter had at least one child, and we believe that she was crippled, according to the first 200 years of church history. Her name was Petronella. We also know that Peter's wife traveled and preached the gospel with him, which would have been a very dangerous thing to do. Peter was being hunted by Nero. He was being hunted by the temple authorities. We believe because it was at Jesus' house, at Peter's house, at Simon's house, where the disciples were having the argument about who is the greatest, that Jesus would have called the little child. We believe the little child, according to the first 200, I can't prove this from Scripture, so you can't take this to the bank, but from the first 200 years of church writing, that the child would have been Petronella that Jesus gathered up into his arms and it says, whoever becomes like this child shall become great in the kingdom of heaven. We know, we are pretty confident, I shouldn't say we know, but scholars are really confident in going there and seeing these ruins about 85 feet away from the synagogue. I think it's 82 feet to be exact. About 85 feet away from the synagogue, scholars believe, archaeological scholars believe, they found the home of Peter and, of Peter and Andrew. And they've been able to excavate it. They found all kinds of fishing equipment that a, that a fisherman would have used at that time. 
We know that according to their standards, it was a large home and it was a two-story home as well. We believe it's where Jesus made his home because there's so many references there to being in Simon's house. So when you think about this, you've got to know all of these sick people, all of these demon-possessed people being brought to Mrs. Simon's door and in her house, that is not something most women are going to welcome. I don't know if you've ever been around a demon-possessed person. I don't know if you've ever been around a demonized person. I don't know if you like crowds in your house. I can remember one time where we had over 200 guests in our house in one day. And I will never forget looking at my poor wife and thinking, what have I done to Becky? And there were people that were helping, but we had people everywhere you could imagine coming through our house. And, and as we were entertaining and welcoming, our neighbors were so kind and they were so understanding. And my poor wife that night, she sat down in my chair. I didn't dare tell her to move. I was fortunate to still be alive. I can't tell how many times I've come home and teenagers wall to wall in our house or people that Becky has said, you can come stay with us and people who've come to live with us sometimes for a few days and sometimes for a few weeks. You see, I know something about what it takes to have a godly woman to be a pastor's wife. When you marry, you need to marry well. When you marry, you need to marry somebody that loves Jesus more than you love Jesus. When you marry, you need to look at that family and know that there's a family that somehow or another has gotten behind and taught them how to love God and to serve God because the life that God would call Peter to, he was also calling his wife to because when God calls a man, God calls a family. And when God lays his hands upon you, you and I are no different than the Philippian jailer. You and your household shall be saved as well. God wants to use our marriages and use our houses for his glory and for his honor. Can we give him another hand of praise this morning? <laughs> Hallelujah. It's why I pray that every one of your homes become a place of ministry in our communities and in our subdivisions. We know from that first 200 years of church history, according to what was written, we also know, and I was rereading this yesterday, sitting down with some of my books from the church fathers, that it was Peter's wife that was martyred first and not Peter. And he cried out to her, remember the Lord, for soon we shall see him. The Apostle Paul would write one time, he would say, don't we have a right? Don't we have the right to marry one of the Lord's followers just as the other apostles and the Lord's brothers, and read the last phrase, and Peter do. Read it again. And Peter do. You see, I cannot emphasize to you how important your home and your marriage is and how important the grit, the gutsiness, the resiliency, the integrity. And I know as I preach this, some of you are sitting here thinking, my wife is not a Christian. My husband is not a Christian. Pray for your spouse. Pray that God would touch them. Pray that God would begin to minister into their life. Pray that the Holy Spirit would convict them. Don't constantly be leaving an open Bible with a certain scripture marked, hoping they'll read it. But instead, pray for them, love them, live the life that God has called you to live. Share with them without preaching to them the things that you learn. And let them see. The Apostle Paul says that your life can win them over. Your life is a sermon. So two things. Number one, God answers your prayers. And number two, your life is a more powerful sermon than any message I'll ever preach. And everybody said, amen. It's just true. The next thing I'd like you to see, it's the call of Jesus that makes everything possible. It's not human grit. It's reason that every week, except for this week, I have gotten up before you and when we've talked about grit, I've said grit is not where you just grit your teeth and you make it. I mean, there are certain things that I know you can do because you're gritty people. There are certain things that I know I can do because there's a certain amount of grit in me. I remember once my mother told me, she said, I always prayed that you would have your father's grit and that you would have my gentleness. 
And I have always prayed, Lord, answer that prayer in my life because my dad did. He had, he had a grit that came from following and loving Jesus. He was a passionate follower of Christ. And my mother is a gentlewoman. And by the way, I told the first service, and I forgot to tell you, thank you for the way you loved on my mother for the last, this is the longest she's ever been away from home. And she said it didn't seem like it had hardly been three weeks at all, but you loved her and blessed her. And I just want to say thank you for that. And uh, Try to love her a little bit more next time because I want her to stay the whole summer with us. She does so much better when she's with us than when she's down there in Georgia. But Peter, <clears throat> Peter became what he was, not because Peter was gritty, but it was the call of God. It's the call of God upon his life. Once Jesus came walking out upon the water, he had sent the disciples ahead of him. He was on the mountain praying. He'd sent them out ahead of him. And when the disciples saw him, they were terrified. They said, it's a ghost. And, and so they see him and Peter recognizes him and he goes, Lord, if it's really you, look with me, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And he says, come. And Peter got out of the boat and he walked on the water and he came towards Jesus. There's three things I want you to see right here. Number one, God is the one that issues the invitation to come. But God will always over honor your boldness to ask. If you want God to use you, ask God to use you. If you want God to do something great through you, ask God to do something great through you. If you want God to touch someone in your life, ask God. But be bold. But don't just step out and think, well, by my grittiness, I can make it. It's not my human grit where I say, I'm going to make this happen. There are certain things I can't make happen in myself. It's the way God's created us. But when God issues the command, that's when the miracles happen. When God gives you that one word, come, it's that one word that puts you on top of the water. I mean, Peter walked on the water. And I know you're thinking, well, he sunk. Yeah, he sunk, but he did something he is, you've, you and I have never done. He actually walked on the water. And when he sank, he had the good sense to recognize he took his eyes off of Jesus. And anytime you take your eyes off of Jesus, you're going to sink. Anytime you get your eyes on the troubles of the world, the storms of this world, whatever else is going on, anytime you get your eyes off of Jesus, you're going to sink. So wait for the command, ask God, wait for the command, and then if you do fail, sometimes, listen, please hear me, sometimes you've got to sink before you can really walk. Sometimes you've got to fail before you can really succeed. Sometimes you've got to fall flat of your face because when Peter sunk and he had the good sense to put his focus back on Jesus, I don't believe Jesus picked him up and walked across the water carrying the salty fisherman like a baby. I believe that Jesus put him on the water beside him, and then Peter walked back to the boat with Christ. You see, sometimes, even though you've sunk, even though you failed, even though you may have fallen flat on your face miserably, if you will put your eyes upon Jesus and say, Lord, have mercy upon me, forgive me, God will put you back on top of the thing that threatened to destroy your life. Can we give him a hand of praise for that this morning? I don't want to be weird, but let me just talk to you for a moment about Dorian that just passed over us or passed by us. Last week I was working on my 2020 preaching calendar and just praying and seeking the Lord about what he would say to us as a church. And one morning in my devotions, before I went to work on the calendar and the planning, I was reading in the book of Job how that God controls the wind and the weather. And I looked at that passage and so I reached over and I grabbed my iPhone and I just flipped it to the Noah site and saw where the storm and all the spaghetti models still showed it coming across Florida. So I just simply prayed. I said, Lord, I know you set natural laws in order. I know there are certain things you do. And, but you said to ask whatever we will. And I'm asking you to turn this storm away from the United States. We've got family. We've got friends. And I never dreamed it would stall out the way it did over Dorian and over the Abacos, and I'll tell you more about that later. But I just began to pray that way. 
I called my brother-in-law who lives in Florida, and I told him what I just told you. He says, Dennis, you're never going to believe this. He says, it's all over the papers in Florida today. He says, our governor was in Jerusalem meeting with Prime Minister Netanyahu, and he asked to go to the Western Wall. And he wrote a prayer, and he stuck it in the... How many of you know what I'm talking about when I talk about the Western Wall? Okay, you've seen that. It, people go there to pray, and they stick prayers. It's the existing wall of, of the temple that was destroyed in Jesus' time. He wrote a prayer. I've done that, written prayers, stuffed them in the cracks there in the wall. He said he wrote a prayer... And when he was asked, because the press saw him writing the prayer, he said, I just simply prayed and asked the Lord to turn the storm away from Florida. Now, you can call that coincidence if you want to. But friends, I agree with Archbishop Trench. It's amazing that coincidences happen more when I pray than when I don't pray. <laughs> coincidences happen more when I pray than when I don't pray. You see, don't be afraid to ask God for big, holy, audacious requests. Be bold when you go to prayer. I think that honors Him. Amen? That's just a little extra. That won't cost you anything. The next thing is, my confession of Christ will define my life. You see, when I confess Christ, that begins to define who I am and shape who I am. All of us have friends. My friends define my life. Friends in my life and what they've meant and specific times where we call each other, we sense that we're supposed to call each other, or specific times we sense that we're supposed to pray for one another, is sometimes just their influence. They begin to define our lives. Well, Jesus said to these disciples, he says, I no longer call you servants, I, I call you friends. And boy, I got to tell you, for me, for my brain and the way I think, that's the biggest transition for me to make. It's, it's not as difficult for Becky to make that. It's, we're just wired up two different ways. But for me to go from that, he is the holy and the awesome almighty God, and I'm this depraved sinner saved by grace. But then to recognize that he says to me, I am your friend. I want you to be my friend. I don't call you servants. I call you friends. When I pray, I say, Lord, I am your servant. I want to serve you. I want to please you. And occasionally, I feel the Holy Spirit say to me, you are more than a servant. You are my son. You are my friend. And I say to you this morning, friendship will define your life. And when you confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and he's more than a creed, he's more than a confession, but you begin to walk in a relationship with Jesus, you'll understand that old hymn that says friendship with Jesus, fellowship divine. Oh, what blessed sweet communion. Jesus is a friend of mine. And it was the friendship with Jesus that changed his life. But notice where God did this, where Peter makes his confession of Jesus as his Lord and Savior. He does it in a place in a city called Pan. I've been there. There were gods, and I, I saw one of the replicas of the idol that were built there. There were all kinds of other deities that the Greeks and the Philistines and others had built there. Augustus would make it a place of worship for Caesar, and it was here that Jesus asked the disciples, he says, who do men say that I am? He's not asking that because he doesn't know what people are saying about him. He knows what people, you know what people say about you. Jesus knew what people were saying about them, but he's drawing out of them who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter says, you're the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus came back and says, God bless you, Simon, son of Jonah. You didn't get that answer out of a book or from teachers. My Father in heaven, God himself, let you in on the secret of who I really am. And now I'm going to tell you who you really are. You are Peter, a rock. And this is the rock on which I will put together my church. A church so expansive with energy that not even the gates of hell will be able to keep it out. And that's not all. You will have complete and free access to God's kingdom, keys to open any and every door. No more barriers between heaven and earth, earth and heaven. A yes on earth is a yes in heaven, and a no on earth is a no in heaven. And when I read what Peter was told there, everything in me just, my little boy begins to jump up and down. I go, wow. Now, now i got to divert just a little bit. And for those of you who have a Roman Catholic background, I am not attacking or even arguing with the Catholics this morning. I don't have time to do that. But this is not saying that Peter is the rock that Christ is building his church upon. 
It's saying that the confession that Jesus is the Messiah is the rock that Jesus will build his church upon. I'm not denying that God did some supernatural things with Peter. I'm not denying how Peter was used. He did the first miracles. He preached the first sermon. I mean, I could just give you a list of firsts that Peter did. I, I will tell you that I honor Peter for the way, for what God made of him. But that is not the rock. As a matter of fact, Peter would write in his epistles. We'll look at that as we study and we go through the epistles of Peter on Wednesday night. Peter will say something so unusual. He will say because of our confession that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, he will say that you and I are living stones built into the church. It's not that Peter is the rock. It's that Peter is a rock and you and I are a rock. You can choose to be a rock or you can choose to be a stumbling stone, but you and I are living rocks that are being built together as a a holy temple for the Lord to dwell in. Can we give him a hand of praise for that this morning as well? <laughs> Hallelujah. Let me go back in church history. Theodore wrote, said, having said that Peter's confession is a rock, he stated upon this rock, the confession, I will build my church. This means Jesus will build his church upon this same confession and faith. Now, I'm running out of time, so i got to kick this into gear just a little bit to finish. And that is, Peter and you and I are living stones, and he just makes this incredible statement, you are the Christ. And then Jesus begins to say, yes, you're right, I'm the Christ, but guys, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to die. I'm going to be led to Calvary. I'm going to be put to death and this is why I'm dying. And in my mind, it may not have happened this way, but in my mind, Peter calls Jesus aside. Occasionally, one of my friends will call me aside, and they'll say, listen, I need to tell you something. You didn't quite get that right. And Peter pulls Jesus aside and says, look, Jesus, you're not going to die. We're, we'll never let that happen to you. We'll protect you, Jesus. You're not going to die. And Jesus looks at Peter, who just a few minutes ago, he says, Peter, God has shown you this. Peter, God has revealed you this. And he goes, Peter, get behind me. You are the devil. I mean, how do you go from being God has revealed you to the next thing, get thee behind me, Satan? It's not hard to do if your name is Simon. It's not hard to do if you're one of those rash, impulsive characters. You were the class clown that God chose to make a leader. You were the person that was always spouting off without thinking. You were the person that was always making rash decisions and then trying to figure out later, how am I going to fulfill that rash decision? And there's some of you in here, that's your personality type. And you have friends, some of you are laughing now, you know it's your personality type. And some of you have friends who haven't come to Jesus yet, but the good news, it's not what we make of ourselves, it's what God makes of us. And if you think I'm exaggerating, Peter will draw a sword, Luke, John 18 and verse 10. He'll slash off the right ear of Malchus. They're they're just a few guys up against all of this army, and Peter pulls out a sword. There were two swords with them, but only one sword got pulled out. It's because Peter is that kind of guy. Yet Peter will deny Jesus three times. John 18, verse 25. Peter denies the Lord. He says, I'm not one of his disciples. And then after Jesus is crucified and resurrected, you see the same emotional Peter. He's out fishing the disciples see the resurrected Lord. Peter jumps in the water and he swims to him. And Jesus does something really unique here that you've just got to see. You've seen him do it on the Sea of Galilee. And now you're going to see him do it at a fire. Now listen carefully. Because I believe the Holy Spirit wants to make this really clear to somebody. It doesn't matter how many times you fail, but if you will repent, God will always pull you back up. And three times, Jesus nails Peter by a charcoal fire. And it was by a charcoal fire, the Gospels tell us, that Peter denied the Lord. Three times he denied the Lord, three times by a charcoal fire. To the third time, 
He says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He says, Lord, you know everything. You know, and it's an interesting word. Two times he's used the word agape. But he says, you know that I phileia. You know that I love you. A lesser form of love. Then Jesus said, feed my sheep. Say, Pastor, why is that so important? You can't change who you are. Only God can change you. Human grit will only take you so far. Human grit will only accomplish so much in your life. And some of you, you've wrestled with things. You have repented. You have cried. You have said, I'll never do it again. You've told your wife. You've told your husband. You've told your parents, I'll never do it. Human grit can only take, gritting your teeth will only take you so far. But what happens after this is Pentecost. And Jesus said to his disciples, you're going to need power. And my source of power and your source of power is the Holy Spirit. And it's God's Spirit that changes our lives. It's God's Spirit that gives us the guts it's God's Spirit that gives us the resiliency to keep bouncing back. Repentance is bouncing back. Repentance is going the way you're supposed to go. It's God's Spirit that gives us the integrity where our confession of faith that Jesus is the Messiah lines up with our confession of faith that Jesus, our walk matches our talk. He gives us the tenaciousness because People are committing suicide because they're giving up. People are giving up on their marriages because they're giving up. And I have permission to share this this morning. But I, uh, there's a young girl that her, her, her mother just brought her to her grandmother and says, I can't take it. I can't raise her. You take her. And just shoves her granddaughter into this grandmother's arms. And the grandmother looks at me this week and she says to me, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to begin. And we, we sat together, my son and I, Benjamin and I sat, and we prayed with her. You see, God will make you more than an overcomer. It's not your human grit. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that makes us the passionate followers of Christ that we want to be. That's what happens. And that only comes with a total sellout to Christ. Not a 95%. Imagine if I said to Becky, I'm going to be committed to you 95% of the time. I'd be dead. And she'd tell you all I died of a heart attack. I'll be committed to you 95% of the time. No. It's 100% that God brings us. And Jesus said to them, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Would you stand with me this morning? I want to pray with you. I want you to close your eyes for just a second, then I'm going to pray for you, and then I'm going to ask you to do what I asked the first service to do this morning. Lord, in this journey, and this commitment that all of us have to becoming passionate followers of Jesus Christ, Lord, I confess My human grit can only take me so far. I need the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I want the power of the Holy Spirit for everyone in this congregation. Lord, our country can't legislate out of the hearts of men and women the violence, the immorality, the corruption. Lord, we can't medicate out the sin in people's lives. Father, we can't counsel it out. can only become, Lord, 
what you make of us. I thank God you take people like Peter and you make them a passionate follower of Christ. Bold. With a wife that boldly serves with him and they love not their lives even to the very end. You take a Joseph Pastor Corey preached about last week. A little teenage boaster. Betrayed over and over. Can you make a leader out of him? You take an Esther. Hadassah. And oh Lord, do you use her boldly? take a Paul who persecuted who despised your name you take us Lord and by the blood that you shed at Calvary you wash away our sins and by the power of the Holy Spirit you make us living rocks not stumbling stones living rocks in the body of Christ. So search our hearts. As we get ready to go into the fall and autumn ministries leading all the way up to Christmas. God, we need the grit that comes from the Holy Spirit. Our community needs churches with the grit that comes from the Holy Spirit. So search our hearts and if there's any areas where we've taken our eyes off of you, I ask you in the name of Jesus that we would each confess those silently in prayer and ask you to forgive us. For you will put us back up on the water you will take us where we're at by a charcoal fire. And you will take our filet of love and you will turn it into a sacrificial agape love. You will make of us. God, I promise these people in your name, your word is true. You will make of us what you've called us to be. I'm going to ask you, would you just be seated now in the presence of the Lord? you ask the Holy Spirit prayer for you. Search my heart. Pray like David did. Say, Lord, if there's any wicked way in me, if there's anything that I need to repent of, maybe it's that spiritual disease called giving up. quit trying to become a passionate follower of Christ. You've given up on your marriage. Maybe like this young mother, you've given up on your daughter. Never give up. God will never give up on you. Never give up. Maybe you've just gotten to the point where you watched the news Netflix show after show after show there's no time for prayer or Bible reading in your life you're tired your lack of prayer has caused the streams of the living God himself to be blocked up in your life because they've become muddy with so many other things the only way to pray is to pray and say Lord have mercy and open up yourself Maybe you just need to be encouraged. Maybe God's put you around some very salty people. 
You might be like my son. You said, Dad, they're going to act very different around you, but don't let that fool you. You live day in and day out with the saltiness. You understand. God's put you there. You're hell's nightmare. In Calvary's shadow, hell trembles and heaven rejoices because God has put you where he's put you. Intercede and pray for them. It takes grit. Every, every head is bowed, every eye is closed, no one's looking around. Can I just invite you to lift your hands to him and surrender and say, Lord, I give it all to you. I can't carry it. Just lift up your hands. Right now, I give it to you. I just give it to you, Jesus. I worship you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I give it to you, Jesus. Giving that lost spouse. Giving that lost grandson, just surrender. I, hands up, hands up. I, I just give it to you, Lord. Hands up all over this building. I give it to you, Jesus. And baby, you're here, and today I've been talking to believers, but you've never really given your heart to Jesus. Right now is a good time to say, Lord, have mercy upon me. Don't be afraid of the success God wants to make you. Don't be afraid of the blessings of God. You don't want him to leave you. You want his presence. Just say, Lord, I confess my sins to you. I believe you died for me. And invite him into your heart and life today. Hallelujah. 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 I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. God is washing away sin. God is washing away hurt and pain. There are people's wells that are being, they're being unstopped. You see, Pastor, how do you know? Because God answers your prayers. That's how I know. There are streams beginning to flow again. it feels so good to be clean in your presence. It feels so good to be clean in your presence. We thank you for the blood of Jesus. sometimes at communion called I surrender all and the words just simply say all to Jesus I surrender all to him I freely give I will ever love and serve thee and in your presence I'll daily live that's how I want you to leave this room today leave everything behind you ready to leave in the love and the presence of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Can we give him a hand of praise? I, hallelujah. Sometimes we just need to wait and let the Lord minister to our hearts before we rush out. I promise you there'll still be plenty of fried chicken at the restaurant. And the reason I know that is because I'm not there yet. So, we